Welcome back to If It Ain't Baroque Podcast, your friendly history special. This is Gemma. Hi. And Natalie. Hello. Welcome, or as they would say in early modern English, right trusty and well-beloved, we greet you well. Today we explore the life of Queen Catherine of Aragon, the wife and consort to Henry VIII. This episode is the second part of us talking about Catalina de Aragon, Catherine of Aragon. Previously, we have covered Catherine's biography in the Who Are You segment. We talked about her life on stage and screen, fun facts and controversy. In this episode, we're covering legacy, geography, edutainment and pop quiz. Hope you enjoy the episode. Okay, legacy. I think she definitely has this legacy of being the the boring wife, which is really rubbish. She has the legacy of being the wronged wife of Henry VIII. And I think it's actually really sad that she's always tied into Henry VIII. I mean, you can't get her away away from him. I mean, we wouldn't be talking about her per se because she wouldn't have been an English queen. So she kind of needs Henry VIII to be an English queen, sure. But other than that, she had so many more accomplishments in her own right. She was the first female ambassador ambassador to an English court. First female ambassador in Europe. That is covered in the Spanish princess <laughs> very quickly. And that's quite sad, actually, because it's such an amazing accomplishment. And barely anybody remembers that or knows that. Even if you... Because in the Spanish princess, they don't really make much of it either. She um, tried to matchmake between Henry the Seventh and her sister after her sister lost her husband. That's not shown in the Spanish princess. No, because I think we only see Juana when she visits with her husband, her husband mm-hmm. very much alive, yep. just before she starts touring Spain with the body of the husband. You know what? Actually, she really loved her husband. Maybe maybe they're just like that in that family. And did we cover the fact that at some point Henry VII wanted to marry Catherine himself? This is not a, a, a yeah. something you can get dispensation for. I'll, I'll marry my daughter-in-law. Right, you can't do that. Right, well, I'll marry your sister then. The thing with the sister, probably they could have got away with it. Oh, no, totally. It's still a bit creepy, but... Yeah, but I think that if you... Because that was after she had married Arthur and Arthur had died, right? This is not before that. This Mm. is after that and after Elizabeth of York had died. So, So you used to be married to my son... Now yep. I get to have you. Yay! Yay. <laughs> Champagne for everybody. Yeah. Out of all the matches out there. I mean, then again, if she couldn't kind of bear kids that well, that we know of anyway, because there's a theory that she and Henry VIII had some sort of incompatible biology and all that. So imagine that Henry VII did marry her. She maybe would have borne him a, a daughter or something. And then that was it. And Henry VIII still would have been king but then she would never, ever have been his bride. Mm. And then there would be a very different ditty. To be fair, it could have been possible that the problem was with Henry VIII because oh, yeah, 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 absolutely. his children fared well, except for Elizabeth, obviously. Yeah, but uh, Edward wasn't sickly his whole life. It was just no, the disease no, that... No, no, I mean, he didn't last long. <laughs> and the other child did survive until kind of also mid-teens. Henry Fitzroy, I'm sure he was yeah. there. Yeah, there you go. So yeah, mid to late teens. Mm -hmm. And the other one was also at least mid-teens. 
So technically it's not bad. And they're kind of, they're not taken away by something that is, you can pick up, so to speak. You can yeah. contract as opposed to a stroke or a hereditary thing. Hereditary yeah. or something. Yeah, there's so many what ifs there, seriously. There's there, there really, so really is. Um, another thing that we don't really talk about is that she was a feminist icon, if you could call her that. Obviously not feminist, feminist as we think of it today, but she no. made sure her daughter was given an education fit for a prince. Never mind a princess. Education was extremely important to Catherine, along with her piety, and this is often overlooked because I think, again, you focus on Anne and Catherine Parr being the education for women and things like that. But, um, votes for women, votes for women. Exactly. Education for women, yay. Exactly. But the book published for Mary's education is so progressive. It's called The Education of a Christian Woman. It was dedicated to Catherine. And the book was praised by both Catholics and later Protestants, because Protestants were not around at this time period. I hate when they say things like that, but it's easy, I suppose. <laughs> Over the easy way. It's the same as the Vikings. Actually, Vikings is worse. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very anachronistic term. But really, they didn't. They weren't called like that. Yeah. Exactly. Um, it advocated for the education of girls, regardless of social class and ability, from childhood to marriage, and then into widowhood. It was extremely ahead of its time. Today, we we don't even encourage boys to study all their life in like today's society. We don't encourage anybody to study all their life. It's study, get a job, work for life. I think we mentioned it last time about education and how it's not pushed upon. And no. I reminded us of that wonderful TikTok video or whatever it was, or Instagram or something, where, I mean, obviously you have those videos where people name Madagascar too as a country in Africa. And <clears throat> that's that my favorite makes, one. That's my favorite one, yeah. <laughs> and that makes one kind of vomit inside. But yes. there are genuinely people who don't think about that or don't even think that knowing this somehow makes them nerdy inferior on what have you mm. actually it's discouraged it almost is discouraged the worst is i think i've definitely sent you that video where someone asks what continent you're in and the answer is oh no i'm i do only fans <laughs> because she thought that she was asked about content as opposed content. to continent and as her answer to what continent she's on when they explained she said oh i'm in the united states mm -hmm. and, and this is <laughs> sort of crying <laughs> mm -hmm. and this is 500 plus years or what have you after Catherine of Aragon commissioned that book for her child as education for a woman for, for a reigning woman and I don't think it's anything that we don't know today so it's it's not as if you need to have special books to learn everything that was in that in that book because I'm sure that whatever was in that book the education for a Christian woman is something that's available today widely because there's such a thing called the internet. Yeah. Even if you don't have a library near you, which is not a problem for you or I, you also have the internet and you can educate yourself till cows come home, literally till kingdom come. You can learn yep. anything you want. You can be as frequent, as prolific, etc. as you want. You can learn anything. 
but people make choice not to. No, yeah, 100%. And it's almost as if they're being discouraged from learning. Well, that's it. It's like, it's not, it's not pushed enough. It's not encouraged enough. Like, it's not, as you said before, it's not seen as cool or you're nerdy if you read a lot or learn things. Why are you learning that? Because I want to. Do you know what I mean? You only have to be in classes, doing courses, or learning something if it gets you to a, a like an, a new job or something like that. Yeah, that's yeah. what it seems. Do you know what I mean? That's it's a means to a different end. It's not. I just want to expand my mind. I just want to learn yeah. new things. I just want that knowledge. Yeah, that we don't we don't encourage people to think like that. Continuing education now is is only seen for those who are maybe academic, right? And I think there's a lot of elitism around education now. That they're probably that then this book it wasn't saying that it was suggesting that all girls should learn, no matter the social background or whatever. And it argued that women were intellectually equal to men, not just equal. Most of the time, we could actually be superior if we were well-educated, which you think, right, okay, people are now saying that now. And then you think, oh, but back back 500 years ago, they didn't have that mentality. Well, they actually did because it's written in a book and everybody was reading it. So they actually did have that mentality and they were starting to think that way. So you wonder how we have not progressed in 500 years because now we're just starting to have that mentality. It's interesting to see where we didn't learn from this book and push it forward. And then it also says in the book that women shouldn't pick their partners just to have babies and maybe get crowns. But they should pick them as being their intellectual equal. So you would pick somebody who was into the same books as you or into the same... What? This is brand new information. information. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) You don't, even today, do you get that on Tinder? No. That explains why I'm single. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Now we're getting somewhere. We need this on um, dating apps. Maybe we should. Maybe we should just start our own dating app. And it's got to have. You've got to be not not um, formally educated, but you know, into the same thing at least. Being able to read. Let's raise the bar that high. <laughs> that high. <laughs> Let's raise the bar. Yeah. yeah. If you read, yeah. yeah, so sort of like uh, combine it with Goodreads, you know, if if a person has completed That's such a good something idea. like 30 books a year, immediately you have the little notification. Yes. And yeah. this person's in the same country and, you know, here's a way to get there. Yeah. You have matched with the books you read. You oh, have matched. Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Amazon, please contact us about the Goodreads thing because we're waiting for your call thank you very much definitely but yeah this is this is very important and it's interesting that somehow it wasn't like that for a good part of the millennium Hmm. and now we're actually getting back there even with films so if 10 years ago you still had films where yes well but they you know they have to end up together and then finally we had the even the rom-coms that when i complete me yeah and then you can elevate my experience but i complete me not you so yeah. we're we're only just now get, literally getting getting to it and i think it's, you could even say post-covid thank you catherine that please keep commissioning books oh wait you're dead <laughs> so if that's her legacy i can live with that mm. at least the school of thought we can say that she had in this way yeah. the school of thought was correct 
but then she kind of went and disproved the fact that she had that school of thought by her own behavior. Oh, wait, I love my husband to the point that even if he tosses me out like rubbish for the morning garbage people to pick up, I will still stick to him. Do you remember that um, TikTok audio that was popular and I made one for George III and Charlotte, remember? Mm -hmm. With, this is your man. (laughs) Look at the screen. We should make that for Henry and Catherine. (laughs) (laughs) I am, you know what? (laughs) Done. (laughs) I'm going to do that tonight. (laughs) This is your man. This is what you're going to settle for. And Catherine of Aragon just says, yes, yes, this is mine. I'm going to stick beside him. Really? You see, that's why I have a hard time. Like, I have a really hard time believing she was like that. Maybe I have high expectations of her. And this is, yeah, like I said, it's after her ambassadorial years. And from what we know, she actually was the, pardon for repeating the word, actual ambassador as opposed to rubber stamping things or when, you know, some five year old is made, you know, um, Lord of the Sank Port or something. This is actual job. Not yeah. nine to five, but still. I mean, and sure, 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 she got the job because of who her dad was. I'm, I'm not going. To, let's face it, she got the job. That's why. It's but, almost despite of that, if you think about it. Yeah, well, yeah, but it's not as if she didn't do a good job. That's the thing. Yeah, she she wasn't put in the role just because that daddy was there pushing her. It was like she elevated herself, and she was she was good enough for the role. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So it wasn't really like that. She wasn't a Nepo baby. She wasn't, well, she wasn't a Nepo, yeah, Nepo baby in that way. Sure. She she used the fruit of having been born out of two very famous set of loins. Mm-hmm. And she managed to do something good with it. Yeah. Almost despite the fact that she was a Nepo baby. Yeah. She just exactly. invented another TikTok trait. <laughs> Captain <laughs> of Aragon, the first Nepo baby ever. I think that probably should be trending she actually she wasn't rubber stamping things she was mm. productively working yep at an important job and yeah that's the that's the good thing about her that's the good thing the, good thing. the bad thing about her well it's not, it's not it's not the bad thing about her i'm, I'm being i'm being scottish right now i'm leaving the world till the end <laughs> there was a little little skirmish called flooding <laughs> <laughs> oh, the worst happened. for you. Sorry, the worst for you. Okay, yeah, the sorry. Worst for me. Yeah. <laughs> for some context, the Scottish King James the Fourth and Catherine's sister-in-law, Henry's eldest living sibling, Margaret Tudor, who is not Margaret Tudor that you think of, who married Charles Brandon and the Tudors, the actual Margaret Tudor. So they have a living son, the future James V, unlike Henry and Catherine. James V is therefore a potential heir for the throne of England as well as Scotland and heirs have always been a threat to all thrones. I mean, Mary Queen of Scots, hello. The Scottish always hated the English. Sometimes we feel the same. So on the 9th of September, Henry is busy fighting in France and has left Catherine as regent at home. Scottish troops outnumber the English forces, which are commanded by the Earl of Surrey. Thomas Howard, who is actually the father of Norfolk and the Tudors. King James led the Scottish army from the front line, uh, which is standard James. That's not unusual for him, although he was really heavily criticised, especially when the next heir to the throne is only one year old. James pushes forward to fight Surrey one-on-one, because standard Scottish. Because war, yeah. Yeah, it's a Scottish thing. We just we just can't leave it to the minions. 
But he's killed by one of his bodyguards. He doesn't even get to Surrey. Egypt. <laughs> Absolute Egypt. Come on. I'm sorry, but this is just this comedy. I'm, <laughs> I'm glad you're laughing. I'm I'm sorry. This is the way you're telling it. Flodden the sitcom. Flodden the sitcom. Anyway, Catherine wished to send his head to Henry in triumph, but is persuaded to send his torn and bloodstained coat instead. A uh, letter along with the coat credits Henry with the victory, showing her political intelligence. Her stupidity, whatever you want to call it. The corpse of the Scottish king was left in Sheen Priory. He had been excommunicated, and so Henry obtained a dispensation from the Pope to allow him to have his final resting place in St Paul's. Another St Paul's. Yeah, so the same place Catherine got married. Yeah, exactly, that's cute. That never came to pass, and after a lot of drama, it is possible that his body is under a golf course in Surrey, while his head is under a pub in London. It definitely beats the Carpac King, Richard III, and we have spoke about this. I think he would like to be left there because, like all good Scottish guys, his head is in the pub and his body's on the golf course. It's a nice ending. So because he was fighting the Earl of Surrey, he's now potentially in Surrey. Is there a connection? <laughs> yeah, I feel this. <laughs> but the best part of that is Catherine is winning battles at home and reigning in England while... As regent, as official as regent. As regent, yeah. as regent, um, has a king killed and everything, and Henry is losing in France. But he did win the Battle of the Spurs. N- not the same. Yes. And the last thing of her legacy, the famous trial, the one oh, where he walks thing. in, that speech. That speech is so iconic. I think in near enough every single... When they, when they decide to include her anyway, they always have that speech because it's so iconic. Yeah. Um, there's a, a painting that was commissioned under Mary the First. I mean, that's how iconic it is. So it's iconic, obviously, in its time, but it's made it all the way 500 years. Yeah. And that is, but that's another reason in that speech where she she walks in, she says her piece, and she walks back out again. That's that's a papal court. Song. It's the original mic drop. Yeah, it's the original mic drop. And now we have a wee segment called Somewhere to Remember You By. And this is a moment for geography. We go through the places associated with Catalina de Aragon, both in real life and on-screen versions, if there are any. So let's dig in. There are, of course, many places in Spain associated with Catherine, but we're mainly going to cover the English ones. The most important places in England associated with Catherine of Aragon. She landed in Plymouth, so it's a good place to visit there. She spent her first marriage, <laughs> the short one, in Ludlow Castle. And this is probably a good time to remember that Henry VIII was married to Catherine of Aragon longer, twice the amount, in fact, than to the other wives combined. This is a very important fact to remember. So Ludlow Castle for the first marriage. Then we have the Fulham Palace. She spends some of her, as I call it, royal limbo time. So the time between the widowhood and the second marriage, you know, to the brother. Warwick Castle, which was her (laughs) headquarters. So it actually is important to the real Catherine and the on-screen Catherine. It's that good. So Warwick Castle was used by her. It was her headquarters, during the Battle of Flodden, but also, and this is almost completely irrelevant, and we're aware of that, but Warwick Castle was used 
in The Spanish Princess, and it was quote-unquote playing Edinburgh Castle, which Gemma knows is very abhorrent to me because of the iconic status of both castles and how they're just so unlike each other. But I get it, Warwick Castle's in the country, it's touristy, but not too touristy. You can't even take a car in Edinburgh now, so, you know. Exactly, yeah. So another great place for Catherine, Canterbury Cathedral, because that's where uh, she was meeting Charles V, her nephew, her sobrino, if you like. Kim Bolton Castle, where she died and, you know, aged 50, because she wasn't born at 50. She had the gradual time <laughs> from zero to 50. Yeah. yeah, It took her 50 years to get there. In fact, half a century, you might say. And of course, Peterborough Cathedral is where she, her remains were moved to. And that's where where her grave is now. And in the, I believe, Edwardian time, Mary of Tech, so the Queen Mary, the grandmother of the late queen. So she kind of had the, the grave up, upgraded, if you like. She gave it a new look. Basically, she, she made sure that it was marked appropriately. And she said, Catherine the Queen. And there are always pomegranates there. That's cute. I and I actually want to... Visit. I have never been there, but I've passed by Peterborough many times on the way to York or Edinburgh because it's the first stop <laughs> when you get in London. Uh, uh, in London's King's Cross, when you board the train, LNER, I think it's usually platform nine without the three quarters. Oh, that's, that's a shame. It's in the new wing. That's the thing. It's in the new wing. There's no way there's, there are three quarters there. And yeah, it's the first stop on the train to Edinburgh. And then two hours later, you're in York. And I so wanted to exit last time, but I had to come see you in Edinburgh and it was just painful. I'll just meet you in York. I love York. Done. <laughs> and then we'll see Catherine. Well, what's left of her? And last but not least, so no, we're not going to cover too many places in Spain that are connected to Catherine. But of course, Granada is a must because mm. Catherine, uh, even though she was very young, she witnessed the fall of Granada. And of course, we covered the pomegranate, the apple of Granada, and apparently Alcala de Henares, another place in Spain where Catherine was born, is a twin city with Peterborough. Oh, really? Apparently so. I heard and, of that work. <laughs> well, I'm not entirely sure how twin cities work when they're in different countries, which seems always, always to be the case. Right. Because if I had to choose the meaning of the word twin cities... I would go for something like something along the lines of Glasgow and Edinburgh because they're it's like Moscow and St. Petersburg. So they're kind of both are sort of capitals. One of them is an actual capital. The other one probably was a capital at one point. They're close enough to each other, et cetera, et cetera. But apparently in the real life, not in the world of Natalie, twin cities are <laughs> where you do some sort of cultural exchanges. We probably should look right. this up. But yeah, so Peterborough and Alcala de Henares are twin cities. And there is a statue of Catherine as a young woman in Alcala de Henares. Well, we should go there. We should definitely go. The next segment is called Lend Me Your Ears. And if you like podcasts, apart from ours, obviously, and if you like documentaries and exhibitions, please write these down. You'll want to dig in into this edutainment and you want to know more about this person and the times they lived in. So films, TV shows, anything else. Basically what I call history bundle. Oh yeah, I just remembered another wonderful phrase, uh, another wonderful 
quote that when Catherine was about to come to England, Henry VII said that ladies who traveled with her should be beautiful as well as of noble birth, or at least none of them should be ugly. It's Henry VII, so... Yeah, he needs a medal. I mean, Henry VIII was fine when he was younger. But Henry VII was played by Elliot Cowan, so we're fine. Also remember, in 1995, Richard III film with Ian McKellen as Richard III, Henry VII was played by Dominic West. And we don't mind that either. The only time I have been extremely attracted to Charles III. (laughs) So, great things for the history bundle for Catherine of Aragon. The obvious is uh, the show The Tudors, which, as we said, is the first more or less truthful portrayal of Catherine. Spanish princess, unfortunately, has to make this list, at least season one. Season two does not get better. So if you don't like season one, if you can't get through the pilot, leave it. That's fine. Read the book instead. Do you know what? To be fair, it was a good try. It was a good try. That's the thing. Yes, we we covered this no, earlier. No, we do it now. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> It's just, if the script was a little better, if they actually knew where the story was going, especially in season two, because Mm -hmm. no. So great books about Catherine. Of course, Giles Tremlett, the ones we both have right now on our shelves, is a must. Uh, And I'm currently finishing the one by Patrick, Patrick Wilson, Patrick Williams, sorry. (laughs) Patrick Wilson is an actor from Phantom of the Opera. I don't (laughs) think he'd written any books about Catherine. I doubt he, I mean, he may know she 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 existed, but, you know. So yeah. Patrick Williams, it's incredibly dense, thick, long, giant book. It's practically an encyclopedia about Catherine. It's totally like it. <laughs> yes. And the books, obviously. Yes, obviously the book, yes. That's mm-hmm. what she said. It's very, very dense. So it's it takes a lot of patience to to get through and it's like we covered one of those things where you flip the page for pages for half an hour and then the percentage barely changes so yeah but after this book you will know everything there is to know about Catherine including you know her jacket size and the density of the tights she used to wear probably I don't know I haven't gotten to the appendixes yet appendices so these are the two musts when it comes to the books then of course you have the Six Wives of Henry VIII by both Alison Weir and Antonia Fraser, which mm-hmm. should I'm be a- making your shelves. I definitely also would recommend these two books by Susanna Lipscomb, the 1536, The Year That Changed Henry VIII. It's an absolute must. I read it at least once a year, once in two years. And The Visitor's Companion to Tudor England. And apart from the fact that it's a gorgeous book, look at that. Also... A fantastic addition to the library if you love tutors, because it's a very, it's a great book. Just trust me on that. (laughs) It's a must. (laughs) That's on the books. Then we have the podcasts with Susanna Lipscomb. There's a great podcast called Not Just the Tutors. And there's an episode on the young Catherine. So before she came to England, it literally ends with her landing in Plymouth. And it's an interview with an expert as well. And it's fantastic, fantastic episode. And then, of course, we have our favorites, The Rex Factor. And they made, I think, two episodes on Catherine. Mm-hmm. And they're both great. They're both about an hour long. And they go deep, deep, deep into her life. So thoroughly recommend. In terms of documentaries, you have a plethora to choose from. Almost every historian in the country has made a documentary called The Six Wives of Henry VIII including Lucy Worsley, Dan Snow, and our favorite, the aforementioned Susanna Lipscomb. Mm-hmm. 
every single documentary starts with this is the new way of looking at Henry's wives. Yes. And in a way, it is. Also, yes, sorry, I forgot to mention him. The OG, David Starkey. He's very, very biased. But, I mean, I can look past that. I think everybody has a bias that's fine. I can look past it. He has a great historian. He has... Um, I love I loved that documentary. I think I watched that documentary several times, and I would still watch it, even though he's maybe not my favourite person. But I, I can appreciate... He has his moments. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, he has his moments. Uh, but I can appreciate his uh, knowledge and his work. He's OG for a reason, because... No, 100%. Yeah. Especially in later. Yes. Yeah. And he has very, very funny glasses. Yeah. And that brings us to the end of edutainment. Now we have a segment called Pop Quiz. So Pop Quiz is the chapter where we try to bring the person of the episode, the topic, uh, so in this case, Catherine Bargain, into popular culture of today and see how they would fare in the 21st century. Or in this case, it's going to be a little bit of the 90s and the 21st century. Yeah. So book recommendations for Catherine Navarigan. What would you recommend? I definitely would recommend Start With Why by Simon Sinek. It's a smart thinking book that basically tells you why you're doing what you're doing. And it literally starts with why did some people succeed doing something and some people didn't. So also the whole school of thinking, this is the way we've always done it. Mm. People see why it doesn't apply. So I definitely would recommend her reading that. And also all of the smart thinking books. Jordan Mm. Peterson would blow her mind. I would recommend Pride and Prejudice. And Zombies. <laughs> Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, maybe. <laughs> yeah, that's probably a better read for her. I don't want her getting the wrong. I don't see this is this is the problem with her. I just I don't know where to put her because I want to give her Pride and Prejudice to show that she needs to get over her pride. But at the same time, I don't want her taking the wrong idea from the book and thinking Henry's Mr. Darcy because he's not. I'd go with Jane Eyre. She ends up in the end as well. Okay, so uh, let's, just, let's just agree that up to a certain point they all do. So if we strip that away, we'll just... If she sees the main character's journey, with the whole, I am not an automaton, I have feelings. And if she sees that, yeah. you know, a lowly governess can just relies on herself. Oh, I'll advertise. And listens to no man kind of thing. Hmm. The the tide doesn't you know does not wait for Jane Eyre, and the tide does not wait for Catherine of Arc. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I'm maybe she needs some, you know what? Maybe she just needs some like Thomas Hardy in her life, and she can Hardy have... being the appropriate word. I agree. Yes, Thomas Hardy books never end well. Maybe maybe Tess Dobbervilles. Oh, you mean the author? Sorry. Yes, not the actor. Maybe she does need him too. That's what I thought you meant. No, the books. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, she doesn't need she doesn't need a happy ending because she doesn't have a happy ending. So she needed to learn that quick. Thomas Hardy. All the way. Tested Darbervilles. Happy days. Well not happy days, but she needed to learn that. Film you would recommend? Gone with the wind. <laughs> you know what? No. Bridget Jones diary. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> but I feel like you would re- recommend that to everybody if it's true. <laughs> I think she could learn that also the signs, you know, with the whole 
oh, um, I thought she, you said she was thin kind of thing and the whole floppy ears. And she would learn that, yes, he has left. You're dumped. Mm-hmm. Accept it. And she's walking through Borough Markets and it's sad music. Thank you, Patrick Doyle, one of the, my favorite Scotsmen. Then she kind of reinvents herself. That's that's the point. And also remember that is inspired by Pride and Prejudice. So I was going to say. my answer is not far from yours. So it's basically <laughs> slightly different. Yeah, 21st century. And the, the bit of the 90s, because that was the one of the most influential novels of the 20th century. And yeah, and then she reinvents herself. She quits the job that's beneath her. And then she goes, okay, so let's see what else is new. Yeah, give her Bridget. I, I don't have a better film. I cannot think of a better film for her. Just give her Bridget. And imagine her kind of getting hired in the new place. And it says, why did you leave England? I had to get a new job because I had to leave the country because I've shagged the king. <laughs> that on Monday, we'll see how we go. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That would be phenomenal. Okay, next question is, on Tinder, would we swipe? I- I'll go first. I-, I-, I don't think it would, to be honest. No. Although my dad did tell me last night when I said we were doing this podcast, he he said that she was a good Catholic girl. So <laughs> that is literally my my dad's answer to everything. Every time I, I dated in the past, it was, is he a good Catholic boy? And every single time I broke my dad's heart and went, no, no, no. And my current partner, um, no. So in other words... I would swipe left, you would swipe left, but your dad would swipe right. I don't even think he would swipe right to Boris because, having endured my mother, uh, he doesn't like stubborn women. <laughs> so, in other words, no one would. Not even Henry. Oh, that's a shame. Now I feel bad for her. Somebody please dare. Retired Tudor queens looking for a fling. I, d- I don't see her want a fling, though. Well, quoting Rachel... It's been a while since she's been flung. Yeah. She, she should actually just be single, actually. I think so. I think she can can do the whole farm soul thing. 100%. Of Margaret Beaufort. She is enough. You are enough. Exactly. Are enough. She is enough. You don't need us this week. <laughs> she don't need no man. Last time, when we did an episode on the Queen, we decided to bring her into the 21st century and again, a bit of the 90s, because it's our favourite decade. It's the best one. And we assigned a Sex and the City character to each of the Georgian queens. So now we're going to do the same with Henry VIII's wives. And we're going to assign each of them a Spice Girl. Yeah, because they were, they were all celebrities, uh, per se, in their own time. So we wanted to make them celebrities in the modern world that we would know. So we've assigned some Spice Girls. To each of the Wife. queens of Henry VIII, exactly. Mm. So, uh, but, had, but to be fair, we had to we had to double up because we ran oh. out of Spice Girls. We we ran out of Spice Girls because there were five Spice Girls. Henry VIII had actually married more uh, women than there are Spice Girls. <laughs> we probably needed what was that band? What was that band? Oh, I think it was in nineties. They were out maybe Blazing Squad. Did you ever hear of them? There was like ten of them. I've heard of Club Seven. Does that does that work? <laughs> yeah, we'll go with that. Like, I have no Club idea Seven. what that is. <laughs> it kept coming up in one of my shuffles last year, and I just kept. What the hell is that? <laughs> it's <Okay. Club> Seven. <laughs> yes, he had more wives than there were Spice Girls. Mm-hmm. 
or girls allowed for that reason for that yeah yeah in that way as well okay so little little mix as well sorry little mix (laughs) have a bad run out of girl bands I don't know any other ones atomic kitten is that a thing yeah they think there's three of them oh but they kept changing to be fair there was like actually so if you take sugar babes and you multiply that by two I just forget them. I love them. I think that's the only ones actually like. I'm space girls. You have to like them. That's what we started with. I know. Okay, so for Catherine of Aragon and Anne Boleyn, actually, we have to double them up because they suited. Ding 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 ding. Posh. If that bears a scrutiny, you can always go with. Well, they were kind of two, literally, of the most bougie ones. You can't get anyone more bougie than Catherine of Aragon and Anne Boleyn out of the out of the lineup. Nope. And then for Jane Seymour, we went with Baby Spice because she was the baby. Well, I mean Catherine Howard was, but she just didn't she just didn't suit that. She didn't suit oh. that. No. Yeah, it was the obvious choice, but it was too obvious. Too obvious, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And next we have Anna of Cleves. We have Ginger Spice. Do you remember why? Oh, we had her as Ginger Spice because it was Jerry Halliwell rather than the whole Ginger thing. In reality, I think she was Jerry Halliwell. She's very independent. And I think Anna Cleves was because at the end of the day, she she lived without men. I'm a survivor. Yes. No, wrong wrong band. I know. (laughs) Uh, yeah, she lo- she lived without men in her life. She got away from them all. And I think Jenny Halliwell gives that vibe. And next one, we have Catherine Howard <laughs> as Mel B. Do you remember why? No, why did you do this? Why did we pick these? I know why, because she was kind of the last man standing or something. Oh. Because we wanted to have Catherine Parr as Mel C, because that was the most obvious choice ever. Because if we had to do the Georgian Queens again... Mel C would be Caroline of Ansbach. This is the Caroline of Ansbach vibes. Mm-hmm. So that's why Catherine Parr is Mel C. Yep. And therefore, the remaining one is Catherine Howard as Mel B. And she doesn't suit it. She does, but I feel like I'm going to be really judgy when I say this. She, she accidentally stepped with a lot of Well, yes and no. Because that's what you said last time when we did Caroline of Brunswick. (laughs) She did did that on purpose, though, let's face it. Caroline of Brunswick, she'd be quite happy. She's Samantha, yeah. yeah, She is definitely Samantha, and she's loud and proud about it. I feel like, and not that I know any of these people, but I feel like Mel B has a train wreck when it comes to relationships. Yes. And you got it in one. Yes. Our little Catherine is the same. Yes. And I don't think that's their fault. I would just like to put it out there. I don't think it's either of their fault. I may be wrong. Again, I don't know them. But. Well, yet. I was in a Spice Girls musical, so speak speak for yourself. (laughs) When am I going to be Catherine Howard? (laughs) In the next life, I'll let you know, right? I feel like they, they do kind of a match a little bit because I feel like they're very unlucky in love. I think you really, <clears throat> yeah, like I said, I think you got it in one. I yeah. even forgot about that one because we picked these a while ago, but that is a great way to kind of summarize them. Not that we want to stereotype anyone. This is 
purely for entertainment. Entertainment. Our own entertainment. <laughs> in a respectful way. So spice up your life. And that came also in Tudor times. Every boy and every girl. Every Tudor boy and every Tudor girl. Spice up your life. Uh... I can't remember any of those songs at this moment in time. I just went blank, except for that one. Or maybe they should just stop right now. Well, maybe... Catherine Howard probably did say to Thomas Culpepper, if you want to be my lover, you have to be my friend. <laughs> well, they had Joss Stone. So th- there's your pop culture. For the tutors. That's true. That's I, true. I don't know a single song she ever sang, and I'm sure she did singing, but it's now, this is what I'm going to see from now on. Yeah. I actually think she um, was heavily, heavily criticised, but I think she did okay, actually. I liked okay. her. I liked that they didn't make her ugly, put it that way. Oh, that, that was... oh, that one, yes. Yeah, yeah. That they didn't uglify her, yeah. Yep. It's interesting because they originally wanted her for Jane Seymour. But she couldn't do it, so she had to wait out a year or whatever. And it's curious because even if Jane Seymour was a beauty in the eyes of Henry, we we will never know because also we have different standards now. Anna of Cleves definitely was not a beauty in his eyes. So I Mm. think that the way they went with just someone who is beautiful to us is actually a good thing because that kind of says, well, Henry may not have been correct on this one. He wasn't correct in a lot of things, so. You can imagine in becoming Elizabeth, the future Bloody Mary, and Elizabeth I just going, Mama, I love you. You're going to be doing this all night. <laughs> I'm going to be doing this all night. I'm just trying to, <laughs> to remember more of the lyrics. Definitely one of them would have sang to Henry, who do you think you are? And then... One of them definitely would have said to Henry, stop right now. Thank you very much. I'm going to tell Natalie to stop it and end here. <laughs> okay. So that is the end of the pop quiz on Catherine of Aragon. And what a Please pleasant... let us know if we picked our own choices of Spice Girls. We can't remember anyway, so we won't take it to heart if you don't like it. It's, it's, a, it's, it's an interesting bunch, that's for sure. This is as far as I'm prepared to go when it comes to having a band on stage and assigning Tudor queens to it. This is as far as I'm <laughs> quoting Miranda Richardson from Phantom of the Opera. This is as far as I dare go. This brings us to the end of our episode on Catherine of Aragon. Thank you so much for tuning in to yet another episode of If It Ain't Baroque Podcast. Please like, subscribe and share with your friends. With Gemma and myself, you can find us on social media. The handle is at If It Ain't Baroque Podcast on Instagram and If It Ain't Baroque History on TikTok. The website is ifitainbaroque.art. And if you'd like to join me on one of my walking tours, and I actually have one called Medieval and Tudor Monarchs, please check out reignoflondon.com and there will be a link to the walking tour in the description of this episode. Thank you so much and see you next time.